and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name's Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie Pastor, welcome to our program today and I'm still locked down here in northwest Sydney, I think we're going into 10 weeks now of lockdown and where I am, I've actually been in hard lockdown. In other words, we're one of the suburbs of concern where it's really, where the virus is exploding and so we're just not getting out at all other than an hour a day for a bit of exercise or if you want to go shopping. Hunty. G'day, mate. Welcome to the program. Thanks, bud. Great to be here as always. And yes, we are locked down. We can't get further than 5Ks. No, in fact... uh, we uh, are so locked down that starting to wonder what it was like to live free. Oh, I've uh, got cabin fever. Yeah, well, I was I was talking to you not long ago. You haven't been out much, have you? You're, you're I think you went out once on Friday. Was that right? Uh, <laughs> I had a fantastic excuse to get out on Friday. One of our lovely ladies from church um, had blew up a washing machine and needed a new washing machine, and that's one of the reasons you can leave your lockdown if you go help someone who needs something urgently. So I got the privilege to get out of my house, go buy her a new washing machine, go over to her place and install it. And while I was out, I had the windows down, I had the music blasting, of course, on Faith FM, and I had fresh air in my lungs. And I was so happy to be out of the house because nine weeks not going further than 5Ks, I am starting to lose it. Well, I'm kind of glad you're listening to Faith FM. Of course. That's very, very important. The number one radio station in Australia. That's it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it has been tough, and I know there's a lot of us listening to the program today that are doing it really, really hard. And you know what? One of the things you need to do is look after your mental health in these lockdowns. For sure. It's it's so important, and it can be as simple as just going outside, and I do this, going outside to the veranda. If you're in your property, you don't have to have your mask on. Just sit down in the sun for 10, 15 minutes. It's it's so refreshing and so beautiful to have the, the wind on your face. Uh, I don't think we're designed to be in lockdown hunting. We're not. No. Especially you not. and me. We need big paddocks. Yeah. Well, I think most Aussies are like that. Yep. I, I mean, I remember when we went to um, Norfolk Island. Remember that? Oh, I got um, claustrophobia there. Yeah. It's quite beautiful over there, but there's not a lot of room to move. That's right. Uh, in fact, I think from one side of the island to the other is about the, the length of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. You can sorry. literally, if you picked the helicopter, if you picked up the Harbour Bridge with a helicopter, you could drop it on top of the island and you would drive up out of the sea, across the bridge and back into the sea. Yeah, but it is a beautiful place. It is lovely. But, but very small for us Aussies. <laughs> and I, I think that's the point. It's, it's really hard. Imagine if you were in an apartment, how difficult that would be at the moment. I feel for people who are in hotel quarantine and apartments. I've got a mate in a, in a hotel quarantine right now who did the uh, video production for the games in Tokyo. Ah, how's he going? Climbing the walls also. Yeah, no, I'd struggle in hotel quarantine. I'd need to have, at a very bare minimum, uh, a window that would open. If I did not have a window that was could open and I was in hotel quarantine, I think I'd be in some strife with my mental health. Yep. Um, and, and if I could get a balcony, that would be even better. We've got a good program today. We've got we a guy do. coming uh, from... The United States, James yes. Merrill. Yes, he's going to talk to us about. What's he going to talk to us about, Hunty? Uh, we've actually got an interview with him. We're going to we're going to actually target him on what it's like to be living in the US post COVID lockdown. That's right. He's got a very interesting story. And then we'll be talking to another friend of mine, Robbie mm-hmm. Bergen, mm-hmm. who's a pastor. Actually, he's one of the 
the boss is at Faith FM, I think. He is. And he has a real interest in the Bible and where the Bible came from and why the Bible is important and why you should have the Bible in your life. That's going to be a, a good, a really good interview, that one. Now, Hunty, we're also going to do the Aussie pastor again. Of course. So ask let me, the Aussie pastor, ask not the Aussie, Aussie pastor. pastor. It's, a, it's, a, it's a great segment and we would love to hear from you. Let me tell you how you can send in your questions. And please do. We love hearing from you because it lets us know what you, the listener, want answers to. So here you go. You can text us on 0488-880-851 or you can email us info at aussiepastor.com. We'll give you those details again as a, we will. get into the program. But yep. we're glad you're here. I know God will bless you. And there's one thing I really pray when we do these shows more than anything else is that you will get just a little glimpse into Jesus, into God, and how wonderful and how beautiful he really is. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I'll tell you what, Hunty, when you're um, looking at... Uh, the news at the moment, it's pretty hard to go past COVID, isn't it? It's everywhere. It is everywhere. And I, I like to do this little news segment every week, but it's so difficult to get outside news items or news articles that aren't dealing with COVID. It's true, just true. everywhere. But I did find a couple that I thought would be worth talking about. Did you see this one about the uh, couple in England that won the Euro Millions jackpot, which is a bit like the Aussie lot. I did. I did see that story. They won 148 million euros, which yeah, is... Yeah, 300 plus million dollars. Yeah, and they went out, immediately they went out and bought about, I think it was about a 25 or a 30 million Australian dollar mansion yep. in the country, which yep. is a like hundred and something acres. They have got two kids. One's a 13-year-old boy and the other is a 15-year-old girl. Now, when you've got money, you buy toys. We don't have money, you and me, Hunty. <laughs> we, we would buy toys if we had money for sure. We like toys. That's There's right. no doubt about that. We do. Uh, and in our youth, we've had them. We've had ski boats. and jet You've skis, had jet skis. Motorbikes. And, well, we've still got motorbikes. Fast cars. I suppose that would be wrong to say we haven't got some. We have motorbikes, but we do use our motorcycles mostly in our our ministry, ministry yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we do, yep. we're not. We're getting to be old men now. And we don't <laughs> ride as much. His two kids are out on the farm where they live, riding one of these. Both riding these four wheelers. You've you've got experience with four wheelers. Yes, I had a quadbike experience, and I think they're a very dangerous mode of transport. Well, well, I've had a little bit, not much. It'd be wrong to say I, I would have ridden on one once or twice in my life. But but being a motorcyclist, the one thing I notice is when you're on them you get this kind of false bravado that you're on a really stable platform and yet you aren't, are you? They'll toss you off in a heartbeat, those things, and they'll, then they'll roll on top of you. Yeah, and, and a lot of people are dying. I think uh, they probably kill more people per capita when it comes to motorcycles, quads and trikes and any other form of uh, motorcycle transport. Now, they're out, these two kids, Marking around. Do you know what happened? There's, it seems to be a bit murky. I, I thought I saw an article that said the, the young girl, a 15-year-old girl, drove a car into the young boy on the quad bike. That's what I saw. Ah, oh, okay. Well, well, the thing that, that I really noticed when I read this, I mean, you're, you're immediately attracted to the idea that they won $300 million. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then you're attracted to the idea that you're, they went and bought a 25 million dollar mansion beautiful home on a and it's an old house too like you get in england 
on 148 acres. Wow. But isn't it amazing that no matter how much money you have, life can still be and life is fragile. Mm, very. And that they have that, the, the boy, 13 year old, has that accident. And I know that right now he's in hospital fighting for his life. And that's just another reason why I think it's so important to walk with Jesus. Well, because you just don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you think about it, if they hadn't won that, that lot of money, would they have had those expensive toys and been on that property? <laughs> you try not to go down those roads. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually learned a long time ago not to do that because it can hurt you. Yeah, the, that the, the what if book is scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't, there's, there's, once you do things in life, you live with them and you move on. Never go back and think what if because it's dangerous. That is dangerous. That is true. Well. That is true. Hey, uh, I also notice, and I think this is a big one, and I'm kind of going back to uh, the COVID thing, and I'm sorry about that listeners but what can we do it's just all over the place what do you think about the fact that australians are overwhelmingly supportive of the idea of a vaccine passport well i think we're all keen to unlock and open up and for those that don't know what's going on in sydney our businesses are mostly shut our freedoms to travel and see our friends and relatives are curtailed and we want freedom and this vaccine passport is offering freedom. Guess how guess how big the, the support is, overwhelming. It's incredible. I, I didn't think it would be so high. Uh, can I take a uh, guess? Well, yeah. 70? 82.2% of Australians are backing the idea of a vaccination passport. Wow. Showing that, showing that you have received two jabs. Now, I know there are some people on our program, and right, rightly so. Everyone's got a right to have their own views of and course, ideas on this. Course. And I think... We need to be careful we don't lose friendships and relationships because we all have different ideas on the vaccine. Hunty and I are actually vaccine supporters. We're we are. pretty open to that. We encourage you to go get the vaccine, but we recognise and we respect that it is your call. Yes. But the idea of a vaccine passport, that without that passport you can't really travel interstate, you may not be able to travel far outside your, your, um, your area where you live, uh, a vaccine passport could lock you down to going, not allowed to go to, to the football. Uh, there may be restrictions on how much you can go to the shops. Uh, are you really supportive of that, Hunty? I am, I am, because we only have a, a very small, finite resource, and that's ICU beds, ventilators and hospitals. We only have a certain number of those and a certain number of nurses. And So how, how do you deal with a person who... Uh, would say, I have a right to put into my body what I want, which I think is a fundamental God-given right. I support that fundamental right, but then is that same person saying, if I get sick and close to death from COVID, I'm then entitled to say, no, medical science is good, I want to avail myself of ICU beds and ventilators? Well, I think it's complex, isn't it? Very complex because, of course, they should get a ventilator and ICU bed, but if they refuse the vaccine because they don't believe in modern science and modern medicine and think that their bodies can build up an immune system by itself, then perhaps stay home when you get COVID and treat it with herbs and all kinds of other natural remedies. And then if, if that's the case, then feel free to go to the football or whatever. But at the moment, yeah. the hospitals have to be protected. We can't have what's going on in the US, and I think our next guest will shed some light on this, but I read a story that if you have a car accident and break an arm, you'll be taken to a hospital 
and you'll sit in an ambulance in the car park because they're full. We well, don't full have of, to go to the US for that. That's happening now. They're full of unvaccinated um, people on respirators and in ICU. There are three hospitals here in Sydney uh, in the West which are dealing with COVID at the moment. It's the Nepean, Liverpool and Westmead. Westmead's a really big hospital. Their ICUs are already full of people who have COVID and we're only getting 1,000 to 1,500 um, a day come down with this virus and yet our hospital ICUs are already full. Um, look, it's a, it's a vexing question. Yep. It's, it's, I mean, who would be a leader today? I, I tend to be cautious with this. I, I think we need to be very cautious. Um, I'm not so sure it is a good idea. Um, we are a free democracy and we are a free people. Look, My the- grandfather fought up on the Kokoda Trail for the freedom of movement, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of life that we have. Most of his mates died. I just think we need to be very, very careful well, how we move ahead, and I'm not sure I have the answer. Me either, but I think that the, the anti-vaxxers have got a very good point. If you vaxxed people believe it's so great, then what are you worried about if we float around in your community? Well, the reality is even when you've had the vaccination, you can still die from COVID. And you still spread it. Yeah, you definitely spread it. Mm, so mm. I'm not sure that's a good point. But well, it is because... Um, they think that the only part of the issue is spreading and catching of the disease. The problem is the flooding of hospitals. We, only have, we only have a <laughs> finite amount of... Well, if, if you choose not to be vaccinated and you choose to die, then that'd be your choice. But if you choose not to be vaccinated and you want to add to the burden of our healthcare system, then that's in, in impacting on the entire community. Yeah. Again, got to be very careful if our freedoms are, hunty. Of course. There's always a price to freedom. Of course. Um, and maybe Australia is about to pay that. We'll talk more about that with James Merrill from the US in a minute. Um, and this last one, uh, just uh, again, highlighting to me the very vulnerable, uncertain times we live in. Hurricane Ida in the United States of America. Mm. Another one of these huge hurricanes that they get over there, um, smashing into the Louisiana coast. Uh, impacting New Orleans and, and some of these southern states of the United States. They tend to get these hurricanes at this time of the year, but it's interesting. It seems to me, and I've got to be careful saying this because I really don't have the facts on the ground with this news article, but it does seem like they're getting bigger, um, fiercer, causing more damage and scarier. Well, I watched some news footage um, recently in the last few hours where 240 kilometre an hour winds took the roof off a hospital. I can't imagine if you were suffering COVID and gasping for breath and the roof just blew off the hospital that you're lying in bed on. I was I was absolutely smashed by that thought. Imagine, imagine how vulnerable and how stressed you would be if you were in a hospital that lost its roof. Yeah, yeah. Look, life is vulnerable. Indeed. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Indeed. Uh, we, we saw that in our first news story. It's complex. I mean... Have a look at our governments trying to deal with COVID and the vax, the, the passport vax. It's, it's complex. Um, and it's uncertain when you look at, uh, and it's not just the United States that gets hit by these sorts of storms. Australia's vulnerable ourselves with the cyclones that we get up north and with the floods and the yep. damage, the fires that we've been receiving. Yep. And it, it just, you know, every time I look at the news, it just reminds me again of how important it is that we are looking up, that we have a relationship 
with Jesus because our world is ending. It is, it is crashing to an end, and soon Jesus will come. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This first song we're going to play today, Hunty, Heritage Singers. I think you know these guys. I love these guys. You've worked with them or I've spent made, time with I've them? I've done sound. I've made videos with them. I've gone on tour with them. I love them. Actually, Max Mace died. He was the leader of the Heritage Singers. He was the Singers. founder and leader, yes. Just a few months ago, really? Yep. Um, and in the Adventist church, which we belong to, this guy was a legend. Correct. Uh, most of us grew up listening to this group that he led called the Heritage Singers. They're a great group. They've got great harmonies. They're pretty famous outside of, of Adventism too. And this song they're going to sing now, which is which is No More Night, it's a song about heaven. It's a song of the escape that Jesus will give us when he comes. And if we follow him and we have Jesus in our hearts, it's a song about where we're headed. No More Night, Heritage Singers.
song, Hunty. Absolutely. Love that song. I love it too. Yeah, it makes me think of where we're going to a place where there's no sickness, no disease, no death and no virus. Want to welcome to our program today, James Merrill. How are you going, James? Hey, I'm doing great. That's good. Now, you're a long way away. Tell us where you are. I am over by Andrews University, which is in southwest Michigan, just about two hours out of Chicago. In the United States. I am. just, just, just putting that tag and that on the end there for our Australian listeners yep. who might not know. So, do you live on the east coast of the U.S.? No, we're we're the Midwest, but we do live on the east coast of Lake Michigan. Ah, okay, good living over there. Uh, this is what we call salt-free water. So, uh, yeah, it's really good. So, in other words, you can jump into Lake Michigan and you're not going to get eaten by a shark. That's right. Yes, we're not, we don't know that in Australia. Pretty much all the water we jump into, there's great whites and tigers and bull sharks. We're always on edge. So, uh, I'd like to go there and go for a swim in Lake Michigan. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, we had a chance to see our first shark when we were there preaching in Sydney with you. Yep. And we went up to, uh, the city of, uh, Cairns. Yes. And, and went out on the reef there. So I, I saw my first shark scuba uh, scuba diving up there. Oh, you would have seen one of those little black tip sharks, which are harmless. <laughs> <laughs> it's when you see, it's when you're in the water and you see one of those sharks with stripes down its side. That's a tiger <laughs> shark. Or you see one with a white belly. That's a great white. Or a, or a stubby nose. Uh, that's a, what do they call those really dangerous bull shark? He's the worst. You don't want to. Anyway, I'm not here to talk to you about sharks. <laughs> um, you're living in the United States of America. Uh, uh, has COVID been bad there where you are? Well, it. I mean, it has been bad. Uh, all you have to do is look at the number of deaths that we have uh, coped with over the last year and a half. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we are now in what we call the fourth wave. Wow. So, you, and so that's, COVID's that's, still infect, Im, impacting you right now? Oh, yeah. Um, we're, the, the fourth wave, I believe, could be basically called the Delta wave now. Yep, yep. And what's happening is uh, I live here in one of the states, the state of Michigan, and during the initial COVID uh, waves, we were the ones who were in major lockdown. So if you go back and listen to the... Uh, Oh, the the fights between Donald Trump and uh, yep. Gretchen Whitmer, our governor. We we had some tough times, and you know yep. I'm sitting here listening to you guys, and I mean there were times where uh, here in Michigan we weren't even allowed to go into the paint section. I'm talking about painting for a house, painting yep. for a room. Yep, we weren't even allowed to go into the paint section of a store for fear there might be too many guys in one spot wanting to pick out paint. Wow. Wow. wow! So, are you under restrict? You, you say it's 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 still going on now, right now. You're in a you're in the fourth uh, wave. Are you under restrictions and lockdowns now? Not not in the same way, and certainly not here in Michigan. Now, we we have an increase. Indiana to the south of us has an increase. Uh, Chicago, just two hours from us. So, uh, this is kind of well for Adventists. This is known as the Lake Union, yep. and uh, all four states, including Wisconsin. But now Chicago is where my uh, my daughter and son-in-law live, and uh, she's pregnant, 
and so that that adds to the whole mess of uh, virus and such. But now Chicago, for example, they have mandated that if you are indoors anywhere, you have to wear a mask. That's not the same here in Michigan currently. Are there many people getting sick every day? Well, yeah. I mean, what are you talking? The, the, thousands the, or the. You know, to be honest, Lloyd, it depends on what state you're in. Yep. And just like just like we've been doing from the beginning, we still look at the number of cases, then we look at the number of deaths. Yep. And I think each state has a certain threshold by which they say if there are X number of people within a certain population, then as that number rises, that is what causes the state or the health departments to create their mandates or their lockdowns. Okay, uh, so where you live, uh, the state of what Michigan? How many? Do you know how many people a day are catching the virus? I'm just trying to get a sense of where you guys are compared to us. So we're looking at oh, anywhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred people a day. Yeah, and I and I don't want to throw out a, a a mistaken number here, but. We happen to live here in southwest Michigan in one county. Yep. It happens to be, according to certain numbers, we are like the second highest level of numbers right now. Um, it, it's different because in the past it was New York, Michigan, um, uh, Pennsylvania. Those were the states that hot, had the really high numbers early on. Yep. Now with the Delta wave, it is Florida and Texas. Yeah. And so one of the big problems in all this, and you know this as well as I do, this this has fingers in it that are political. They ha- it has fingers in it that, that uh, focus on religion. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, don't, I don't dare think of where we're going to be going here for the next few months. But, you know, as I was listening to the two of you talk about what, what issues you're dealing with there... Yeah. We're we're not in the same situation as you, currently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are, pe- are most people in your area vaccinated in America? Okay, in my county, I can tell you that the that the more recent numbers I saw was only about thirty thirty five percent. Oh wow. Okay. Now I'm in a rural rural community. Yep. You get out of the rural community and you start getting more towards the cities, and I think you see those numbers bumping you know bumping up higher. But yet, regardless of whether you live in a county where it's low or a county where it's high, the fact remains, overall, the United States is still pretty divided. You're still looking at at an entire United States where only about half the citizens, more or less, um, maybe just a little over half, are actually vaccinated. Actually, in Australia, we're realistically looking at in the next few months being somewhere around 80% vaccinated. So it is a bit different, isn't it? I think Americans, I think it'd be fair to say that Americans are, we're a fairly uh, independent, freedom-loving people, but the Americans very much take very seriously their right to make decisions for themselves without interference from the government. That's kind of what the whole country is built on, is that correct? I I think the bigger problem, in, in my opinion, from looking at this for the last year and a half, the bigger problem is we're too big. 
And you, you know, there's been a lot of frustration in the past about why are why are certain restrictions being placed on certain states but not other states, mm-hmm. and even as some states were were just locking down tight as a lid, yeah. you still had other states that were saying we're just not going to do anything and we're going to let this virus do what it needs to do, and then we'll have this herd immunity. Yeah, okay, a herd immunity. We're we're all still looking for. Is it easy to get a vaccine in America? Oh, uh, basically, yes. I mean, there there really isn't any reason for anybody not to be able to get a vaccine now. Okay. So uh, is there any talk in America about a vaccine passport as there is over here in Australia? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing because you mentioned the government. The government has a way of, I won't use the word manipulating, but... Maybe, maybe persuading or or creating conditions for larger businesses to do things. So let me give you an example. If the government controls monies like Medicaid and Medicare, then the government's in a position, and they are, and they have. Uh, well, under Biden now, he has been mandating if you are receiving government monies then your employees need to be vaccinated. Uh, I have also heard where the employees might be able to get away in some companies or whatever by having testing done on a weekly basis. But let's face it, if a person's not vaccinated and you're only getting tested once a week, a lot can happen during that week. Yeah, I think I think you got a good point there because we're seeing that in Australia too where they'll say, uh, look, no one's going to force you to take the vaccine. The government says that. But the government has other ways of ensuring that if you don't take the vaccine, in other words, if you don't take the vaccine, you can't travel interstate. Or if you don't take the vaccine, you can't travel more than 50 k's. I'm not saying these rules are in yet, but they're, they're, they're certainly being talked about. Or if you don't have the vaccine, if you've got to go to hospital, Medicare won't cover you, you've got to pay for yourself. So what they're doing is they're saying, yeah, you don't have to take the vaccine. Um, but if you don't, there's going to be consequences for you, and a lot of those consequences will impact your freedom and uh, even your pocket, which could be a bit scary. Well, see, that that's one of the newer things. So, for example, we've got some companies now who are saying, if you're not vaccinated, then we will charge your, uh, your monthly medical, um, uh, you know, everybody pays into medical, like through a business, and so yeah. you get your Blue Cross Blue Shield. Yeah. So some companies I know have said you're going to be paying more for your insurance plan if you're not vaccinated. So yeah. that's something that kind of forces a person. Um, and again, now I just was watching the other night. We have some of our major uh, medical companies that are saying that they will also be charging. Uh, people more on their actual hospital co-pays because they're saying if you don't want to get vaccinated that's your choice but we're not going to put out all the money when you go to the hospital so we're going to increase the co-pays you're doing so all these different things do factor in to encouraging people to become vaccinated yeah, encouraging. Very some people would almost say it's forcing. Um, um, how do Americans? How do they generally respond to the idea of a passport? Uh, uh, pass, you know, a vaccine passport. We've already seen in Australia. It, it's incredible. I, I was stunned when I saw this. 83 percent of Australians support a vaccine passport. 
that still leaves almost 5 million people who don't, you know, so there's still a lot of people out there who don't, but it was an impre- pretty incredible that you can get 82, 83% in support of that. How do Americans, do, do you get a sense or a feel of how they, uh, how they feel about that? A passport? Well, I, I would say the passport is almost like any other topic that has to do with vaccine, and you're going to find that you have a divided America on the topic. And, and I'm not surprised by that because all you have to do is look at, at the polls when, you know, when we're choosing yeah. a president. Yeah. I mean, basically, the country is, is divided, okay? Yeah. And so passport, while some people, it's like no big deal, I've got a vaccine, fine, I'll show my passport. And even there, a lot of people who have the vaccine, they know that they are not 100% protected. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And so... The idea that you could go to an indoor event, and I, I say indoor as opposed to maybe a, an outdoor, you know, what you call rugby, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, we got our football. Yep. Um, but especially indoors, even a vaccinated person might still say, I'd rather be sitting next to a group of people who also have been vaccinated, believing that there's less of a chance of them spreading as opposed to a non-vaccinated yeah. person. So now, with this division, is there kickback from the from Americans towards the unvaccinated? Well, it again just depends on which side of the fence you stand, and and it's been heated. Now, just just to give you an idea, just this last weekend, we had a number of Adventist ministers who were running presentations either on Facebook or in their churches, dealing with this topic. And once again, Facebook in the Adventist world over the weekend was banging heads because this this is just a... Well, here, let me put it this way, Lloyd. Here in the States, while you might have the Southern Baptists who are by and large a majority of Republicans... When you're looking at the Adventist church, the Adventist church is, is far more divided. It's not real heavily leaning to Democrat or Republican. So, unfortunately, our church has suffered here in terms of the, the, the frustration or the animosity members towards members because, unfortunately, it's not just about the vaccine. It, it, it brings in... It even brings in issues like wanting to point to Revelation uh, 13 and and say that passports and such, this is all in step with the mark of the beast. So I think one more question. What is it like living free? Because you are living free with COVID around you. And some people would argue what is free. If you live in Chicago and you must wear a mask everywhere, is that really freedom? If you're living in Michigan and you cannot go into certain stores or you cannot go into a certain section of a store and purchase something, is that really freedom? And so, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a military veteran, yep. and I, I even hear the same, the same discussion amongst those who have served in the service. There, there are those who say, hey, I serve to protect. That's why yep. I get vaccinated. Yep. You have others who say, I serve for freedom. I don't want all these restrictions. Yep. So the reality is that, like Australia, you are divided. These issues are complex. I think the thing, as I'm listening to you, James, 
describe America, which to me sounds very much like Australia, what we need to do if we claim Christ and are born again is to treat each other with respect, with gentleness and with love, even if we disagree. And unfortunately, you and I have seen that that just doesn't always seem to work on social media. No, social media is, is like a fire. So, so look, thanks so much. It was real. We might come back to you in another month or two, if that's all right, James, just to see how you're going. You, you are our, you, are, you can be our American correspondent. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> well, just remember, half of the United States would disagree with whatever I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless you. Uh, thanks for coming on board. And uh, you know what? Stay safe, mate. Thank you. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Well, that was interesting, Hunty. Very, very interesting. It's uh, like he is experiencing pretty much the same as we are. Yep, yep. And uh, there are great challenges, huge challenges at the moment uh, with what is going on in the world. uh, To me, the the thing that I'm learning, and I'm – I'm learning it too because I have some fairly fairly strong views on this as well. Mm, me too. Is we've got to allow people some room, yes, to believe as they believe, of course, and yet still maintain the friendship, yes. the love, the peace, and and I think more and more we're going to need Jesus in our lives, that born again thing, to do that, and perhaps that is going to be the greatest struggle through these end times. Not so much, oh, will I survive COVID or how do I do this or what's my view on that, but can I love my brother? Yes. Can I love my yes. sister even when they think differently than me? Now, Hunty, before we introduce this song, yep. it's a good song too, I just want to um, remind people, if you've got a question for the Aussie pastor, which is coming up pretty soon. It is. Uh, what do you do? Okay, you can text us. Oh four zero four double eight. Let me start again. Text us on zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or you can email us info at aussiepasta dot com. And any question, yep. any question at all, I'll have a go at. If I can't answer it, I'll admit it. We've, we've got a couple of curly ones in already. I'm just yeah. noticing the questions as they roll in. Okay, uh-huh. so keep them rolling in. Uh-huh. Yep. This is a great song from Daniel Martin Moore. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my I'm 
faith shall be aside The clouds be rolled back as a scroll The trumpet shall sound And the light shall descend Even so It is well With my soul It is well With my soul It is well It is Whether it, I wonder whether it is well with your soul mm. as you listen to this program today. Here we are living in a world of chaos, of disease, of virus, of uncertainty, of war, of hurt, of pain and death. And we are being asked to live in a world that our parents and our grandparents, yeah, they faced the troubles and the trials, but perhaps not the chaos that there is today. It's just sheer chaos. Mm. And for this little Bible study discussion, I thought I would just read, and I don't normally do this, I just want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because as I talk to James, as we go through our news segments this morning, I couldn't help but be convicted that the one thing we need to get through this is what 1 Corinthians 13 Speaks about now, Hunty. Yeah, I not so much anymore. But when I was in youth work, I used to do a lot of weddings. Yep. This passage of scripture was a passage of scripture that I probably read or heard at weddings more than any other. But it's not really a passage of scripture just for weddings. This is one of the key passages of scripture that God gives to us that will help us to go through these end times. You know. We discuss with people in our lives, Hunty, on social media, as James was indicating, we discuss about the virus, about the vaccinations. There's some pretty heated discussions out there, isn't there, and yep. some views. Yep. And it is it is unfortunate when you see even the church struggling in, in itself yep. with these views and maintaining relationships. And it just goes to show that whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to be impacted by what's going on in these last days. So this passage of Scripture matters. Are you going to read it, Hunty, or will I? Oh, um, I, I'll read it. Thank you. You're not ready. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I did give you. I did give you a heads up when I said First Corinthians thirteen. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. And I'm reading from the NLT. I just read it straight through. And as I'm reading, reading it, just think: Is this how I am acting? Is this how I'm behaving? Is this what I'm experiencing with others? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy 
And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes and those partial things will become Sorry, I'll do that again, but when verse 10. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But when we will see everything with perfect clarity, all the, I have to read that again, hunty. I, I, I need to get you to read this, not me. <laughs> Verse <Okay>. 12. <laughs> now, we, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love. Mm. It's just saying, hey, as we go through these end times, you can have all these wonderful characteristics in your life. You can be generous, you can serve, you can be a prophet, you can have all these incredible uh, experiences and you can be ministering powerfully, but if you don't love people, it's all naught. My question is this, Hunty. How do you love someone when they're disagreeing with you, you know, vehemently, fervently on something like the vaccine, something that hits home to all of us? Because it seems to me with the vaccine, you're either for it or you're against it. Okay. And if you're for it, you're full on for it. If you're against it, you're pretty much full on against it. And I say this because my brother is anti-vax. Yep. I have thrown... Everything at him. I think you've got a son or something that's anti-vax too. Yep, yep. I have thrown everything at him, all the information, and I've noticed how quickly things can heat up in the discussion. Yep. So when someone disagrees with me fervently on something which I feel is so important, how do I love that person? I, I think you nailed it on the head. I mean, I was just uh, picturing in my mind if my wife, who I love so dearly, if she had a disagreement with me on anything, because of my love for her, our disagreement means nothing. Okay, I'm going to take that further. What if uh, someone in your church who you don't like, and there's always people that we don't naturally get on with. Of course. What, what if someone in your church who you don't like disagrees with you on this, and you've had disagreements in other areas. So you've got history. I have, And you don't particularly like this person. Yes. And they disagree with you on 
the vaccine, which you feel quite strongly about. How do you love that person? Well, this this issue is extremely complex because if you don't like chocolate and I like chocolate, well, who cares? If you like a white car and I like a black car, who cares? But when your choices impact my life, then my care level is is astronomically high. And in this so I'm in your church. Yeah. I don't get. I don't get on with. Uh, let's just play this game. Yeah, let's play it. Yeah. I'm in your church. I don't get on with you. Yep. We've had quite a number of disagreements. Yep. We're church people. We're not even out there. We're not secular. We're church people. So we're talking church people here. Yep. Now, if, if you're not a church, that's person listening to this. That's cool. I'm just trying to set this up. Yep. Um, so well, you would expect that church people would be called to a higher standard of love. You would expect. <laughs> Not always. No, because we just the church is because just full of normal human. people. Because exactly. we're human. Exactly. So we go to the same church. We even are in the same Sabbath school class, but we don't get on. We differ on the board. We sit on the board, the church board. Yep. We have differences. Yep. We see we come from different uh, life, from different perspectives. You're from the right. I'm from the left. Yep. And you want the vaccines, and I'm saying no way. Yep. And, and you're vocal about it on your social media platform and say I was vocal about it on my social media platform and you're for it and you're against it and we get to church and we're having a discussion between each other and it's heated. We don't like each other much naturally anyway. We don't hate each other. We don't like each other. How do you love me? I have I'm to, talking, I, I, want, have to, I want for our listeners, Auntie, yes. I'm looking for something very practical here, not well, theology look, the, the, theory. This is a situation that this might surprise you that I have been in over my lifetime with a few people. And I have to always think of the things that I have done that go against what God's word says and how I've offended Jesus and how I have gone against my principles. And I think of all the massive things he's had to forgive me, and yet he loves me 100%. I look at the trifling issues that I might have with a colleague, and I think if Jesus can forgive me and love me for the crazy things I've done, then it's the very least I can do to treat my friend or colleague with respect and with Christian love, and that's how I do it. What if you're trying to do that and it's still not working because love comes from the heart? I run. Love, love is Distance. Not a, love, <laughs> Distance, love, get me out of here. <laughs> love is not a fake experience. It's got to come from the heart. So how do I look at that guy and say, you know what, I genuinely love him? That's... And yet you've got differences with him, you don't get on well. Uh, it's not that you're at each other's throats all the time. You're just on a different... Yep. Different road. Different how, do, road. How, do I, how do I love someone when they're saying, oh, don't get the vaccine and I think that's becoming a danger for me personally? How do I love that person? So you're saying, well, and I think it's a good answer too, well, because Jesus loves me and I hurt Jesus, I can love someone else even if they're potentially going to hurt me. Is that how you're saying it? That's the only way I can see it. I, I Does have that work to, I have deep to play, in your heart? I have to play the love forward. Say that again, you have to... I have to pay the love for... The love that Jesus gave me is way more than the forgiveness that Jesus gave me is way more and the, and the room to make mistakes and to go my own road that Jesus gives me is infinite. So it's the very least I can do for a friend or colleague. So that works for you? That's how I do it. Okay. Uh, I think it's cool and that's a good way to do it. The only way I've been able to do it, I've tried that, and I've got a heart. I know that I've got a heart, 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 heart <laughs> thing. You've got a soft heart. I got a bit. I, I constantly pray for the Lord to take my stony heart and soften it. The only way I've been ever able to do it is to pray, Hunty. Yep. For that person. Yep. Wow. 
and I don't know what it is, but when I pray for someone who's annoying me, who uh, is upsetting me, who I disagree with on a number of fronts and places, I don't know. It's, it's just like this miracle occurs in my heart. I think the Holy Spirit, I don't think I know, it's the Holy Spirit getting into my heart and softening me toward that person. And I think that is a beautiful thing, and I think that's is. what is. we need to remember more than anything else as we walk in this complex, crazy world where we've all got so many different ideas on how to do things and we all feel so strongly about it. Hey, remember First Corinthians 13. If you can't remember it, read it every day until you can. And pray for the people who upset you, who annoy you, who you can't stand, and you will learn to love your enemies. That's right. You'll, love, you'll learn to love even your enemies as Jesus did because the Holy Spirit as you pray will not just be touching the person you're praying for, but will be affecting and changing your heart too. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This is Anna Beden Hunty. Yep. And she's singing a song called Knitted. But before she does, and I, I just want to do this one more time, a shout-out for Ask the Aussie Pastor. Of course, yes. So uh, you can text us on 0488-880-851 or you can email us info at aussiepastor.com. And ask any question you want, right, Hunty? That's right. Any question you want. This is Anna Beden, friend of mine. We play her a lot, eh? We do. We love her. Yeah, we do. You do. Uh, and the song's called Knitted. So fearfully, wonderfully made Somehow you forgot along the way Knitted together by my hands Swept away by the world's demands You are so fearfully, wonderfully made Somehow you forgot along the way Knitted together by my hands Swept away by the world's demands And I have called you by name Dearest child You are mine You are precious In my eyes Honored and I Love you I close of the food So still your life you try to build I place sweet rainbows in your life You trust yourself to find a husband And I
Thank you, Anna Beden, for that beautiful mm, song. Beautiful. I think I'll get Anna back on and we'll have another talk to her soon. Yeah, we should. Yeah, she can become our ambassador for young people. We try and work out how they're working and where their heads are. Amazing, Hunty, as you get older, how you kind of lose touch with how youth, young people are thinking. That's it. You know? That's it. <laughs> We're, I'm way out of context now. Hey, that's right. Ask the Aussie pastor. It's We've time. got some questions come through. Yeah, now, we do. Make sure. Have we checked both the, the, yes, the email, yes, the email and the, Yes, I've checked yeah, them both. Okay. Yes. We've got one, two, three. We've got four questions. Okay. Okay, the first question. Uh, why doesn't God stop the virus? That's a question that comes through in one form or another mm. fairly regularly, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, it's, it's a good one too. Why doesn't God stop the virus? Well, uh, I, ha- I have two answers to that. Uh, shortly he will. Jesus will come. Yep. And the Bible's very clear that when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven and earth stops functioning as it is right now and he comes to save those who love him, who've given their hearts to him, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death. That will be the end of the virus. Until then, we are in the middle of a great war between good and evil. Yep. Uh, And we're caught up in it. There's nothing we can do about that, Hunty. That's right. We were born into this world. It's a world that's racked by sickness and pain and death, and Jesus is the answer. Now, we don't have to wait for Jesus to come to experience that answer, because the moment you give your heart to Jesus, you start living in his kingdom and you get this beautiful peace in the chaos. But it doesn't change the fact that you are still physically living in the chaos. Right. And you can physically get caught up in the chaos too, Hunty. In other words, you can get the virus. You could even die and be a follower of Jesus. We've got, we've got, look, I, I, I got, I got family members who have died of COVID yep. in Indonesia who love, Je- who love Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. We've got pastors who have died in many, Jakarta. Many pastors. Adventist pastors yep. Yep. who love Jesus Christ. We've got people in our church at New Hope who've got relatives in Africa who have died. They love Jesus Christ. So we're in the war. We can get caught up in it. It can even take our lives. Um, but the thing we have that no one else has, once you give your heart to Jesus, is you've got Jesus. and He's going to walk through it with you. So why doesn't he stop the virus? Well, he will soon. Yep. But until he comes... We are caught in the middle of a war, and part of that war is pain and sickness and death. And the best, the best advice I can give you as you listen to this program is ask Jesus into your heart. Choose him to be your saviour yep. and to walk life with you. Indeed. And it's always going to be a lot easier. Okay, mate? True. That's the best I can do at the moment. That's with a really di- no, that's difficult good. question. The next question is kind of two parts. Um, yep. How come Haiti... The poorest nation on earth keeps getting hit by earthquakes, and why doesn't God protect them? Oh, it's kind of similar to that other question, the first one, isn't mm. it? Why doesn't God mm. stop the virus? Mm. Look, the reality is Haiti is on a major fault line, and when in this on this planet, when you're on a fault line, there are earthquakes. Uh, two things I'm thinking about there. You might be surprised at how many people God has cared for, looked after, and saved in Haiti. The other thing is, unfortunately, yes, they are poor. I've never been to Haiti. Have you? No. Been there hunting? No, I haven't. It's just off the coast of the US somewhere. Yep. Um, so it is a very poor nation. And when these earthquakes come to Haiti, it is devastating. But just like us, they are caught up in the war. Yep. And part of the devastation of living on this planet, which is racked by sin, is natural disasters. And Haiti are not the only ones who are suffering. Australia 
has had devastating floods and bushfires um, that have killed many people. Uh, I think the difference, though, between Australia and Haiti is often Australia has the finances to be able to yep. deal with it a little better. Provide and recover. Yeah. Yep. Look, it's a poor world and awful things are happening. And when I see these things happening, I mean, Afghanistan, Syria, when you see what's yep. going on over there, the only thing I do is cry out, Lord Jesus, please come and rescue us from all this pain. So let's pray for the people of Haiti. Mm. I hope that's not too glib an answer, yep. but it's no, the best no. I can do on a difficult question. And we've got um, what looks like two questions that have come in from our previous discussion. Um, yep. I pray and my prayers go no further than the ceiling. Why doesn't God hear my voice? Well, God does. Whether you, When you pray, whether you sense God hears you or not, he does. But what if, but what if uh, I, don't, I don't see any results, I don't feel he's hearing me? Well, sometimes you're going through a, a place in your life where physically it's going to be very difficult for you to hear God. And I think of when I had a divorce many years ago, my wife went and the pain that I went through at that time. And uh, look, the reality is that I was praying and felt my prayers were going back no further than the ceiling. But when I look back... I can see God's leading right the way through that. Yep. that that's the first point there, honey. Yep, yep. Um, sometimes when you pray, uh, um, the best thing I can advise you to do is, is not just pray, but get into the Bible. Because when you're praying, you can be in a place where you're struggling to hear the voice of God. Yep. But when you go into the Bible, you know, the Bible says, Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing. So so faith, believing God, comes through hearing, and hearing, so hearing God yep. comes by the Word. Yep. So the Word is the Bible. So the best way to go to, to hear God if you're not hearing him out, you know, just normally, is get into the Bible. The moment you get into the Bible, no matter where you are in life, no matter how much pain, no matter how much sin you're caught in, no matter how much blockage there is between you and God, the moment, and it's always from us to God, not the other way, but the, the moment we get into the Bible, you will hear God, I'll guarantee it. And if yes. you don't know where to start, yes. start in Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, they're the Gospels. Yep. Or go to Romans, or go to Hebrews, or go to Genesis, or Isaiah, or Daniel, or the Revelation. These are all incredible places to go. Go to the Psalms, hunting. Mm. When I go to the Psalms, God speaks to me in booming voice. And when you go to the Bible, the Holy Spirit's there, it's supernatural, and God will start to talk to you. Indeed. In a very powerful way. And this next that's, a, that's actually a guarantee, Hunty. It is. It's, yeah. That always works for me too. Yeah. This next question is also about prayer. Um, have you ever prayed for someone and still not been able to love them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably because I'm a, I can be a bad dude. I don't know. <laughs> I've had to pray for someone. For six months, before the Holy Spirit could, t- could could loosen my heart, could soften my heart, and help me to love. Mm. But you know what? The more I disliked them, the more I prayed for them, hunty. And the more I prayed for them, and I was intense, and I was fervent, and I kept going, yep. praying for this person. You yep. know that per- that God took me to a, from a place of blind, red hot, and you saw me do this because you know the I story. Do, I do, I do. Blind, red hot. Oh, yep. I'm ashamed yep. to say it, but yep. hate. Yep. To a place of genuine concern, and I yep. would say even brotherly, what I'd call agape, which is unconditional God love, agape love. That, yes. You saw that happen, honey. I saw God rehabilitate you in front yes, of my eyes. and it, it was through praying for that person. So don't think just, oh, I've got an enemy, I'm going to pray for them, and all of a sudden you can love them. That, that's a bit glib. 
Yeah. It's, it's not like that. Sometimes you've got to pray over an extended uh, period of time time yep. before God can move on your heart and get you in a place where he can get you to love. For sure. For sure. Well, that's uh, that's all the questions we have for this segment today. Well, you know what, Hunty? That yep. was pretty easy today. It was easy it? for you. Actually, <laughs> they weren't that easy in the, in the manner of the questions, only four of them. But they're actually all pretty hard questions. And remember, I'm just answering these off my head. If they're not to your satisfaction, well, you know what to do. Yep, send them in again. Follow it up. That's right. Follow it up and say, well, well, Pastor or Grolly, Lloyd, uh, you did not answer that good enough, and I want to know, so go deeper. Yep, How's indeed. that sound, Hunty? Perfect. Okay. Uh, God bless you. Remember, and, and by the way, as we close this segment, Hunty, can they ask the Aussie Pastor at any time? Of course. Look, if you're hearing a repeat of this program, feel free to send in your questions, and we will deal with them next Tuesday when we're live. And where do they send them one more time? Very simple. You can text them to us on 0488-880-851 or you can email us info at aussiepasta.com. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Okay, the Statler Brothers Song of David. I just put this song in because I like it, Hunty. No other reason. <laughs> he could. Usually I'm looking at what we're going to say and trying to match the song with what we're saying. But because it followed uh, RC Aussie Puzzle, I'm just going to choose a song I like. It's a good song. Got great words. Uh, it's a story song. Hope you enjoy it. From the Statler Brothers, one of my favorite country western bands, the Song of David. Shepherd to his father's sheep Played the harp when Saul got weary Rocked the giant till he was fast asleep People praised when Saul killed thousands When David killed ten thousand they cheered And all that noise Made Saul angry, and the shepherd was on the lamb for years. David was a man down in Israel, fighter, lover, shepherd, king of Wife of Uriah 
good song, eh, Auntie? Love it. Pretty sobering story, actually, that one. Yes. About David and Bathsheba. I think we're going to look at that story in the next couple of weeks uh, because it's one of the most testing in all the Bible. Hey, we got Robbie Bergen on line here. I think so. Am I, am I coming through all right? Yeah, we got you. Yeah, a bit, a bit crackly, but you're there. Hey, uh, Robbie, just remind us what you do for a living. Ah, uh, you know, I try to be a good husband, try to be a good father. <laughs> Is there um, money in that? <laughs> There's money going out. My car went <laughs> in, though. <laughs> now, look, I, I, uh, I work for Faith FM. I'm the content and promotions manager down here in Melbourne. And so my job's to oversee content. Um, finding new content, uh, making sure everything's working well and that we're scheduling things that are uh, keeping people happy, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a big job because uh, you've got to keep searching for new content and, and interesting content and, and the sort of content that will draw people to Jesus. Hey, you're in, um, you're in lockdown, is that right? Um, yes, I'm in hotel quarantine, to be precise, but it's still a form of lockdown for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I mean. So are, are you, when I say locked in, yeah, I meant quarantine. Um, yep. are, are you, have you been overseas? No. Um, it's been interesting, right? In the last 18 months or so, I've been able to dodge every single lockdown in every yes. single city, every single area. But um, most recently, because I'm based in Melbourne, but most recently I came up to Queensland and, uh, yeah, had to do my 14 days in Queensland hotel quarantine on the Gold Coast. Um, there's worse place to do it, but it's kind of difficult when you look out the window and you see the beach and the sun, but you can't go outside your room. Oh, so you're on the Gold Coast? <laughs> yeah, trying to get into Queensland. To Are you going on holidays or are you up there for work? Uh, for work, yeah. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah. Now, when you leave Queensland to go back to Melbourne, do you have to go back into quarantine? Um, I'm hoping to stay up here until everything sorts itself out. Oh, okay. Is your family <laughs> up there in Queensland, are they? Yeah, I've got, I'm originally from Brisbane, so I've got lots of family here still. Oh, okay, okay. So you'll yep. just stay with family. What about your wife? And they, they with you, or are you on your own? No, I've got, I've got my wife, I've got a five-year-old son, and I've got a seven-month-old daughter all in one room. Pretty, wow. Pretty awesome. wow. <laughs> <laughs> How long the have good, you been there, and when do you get out? The good news is I get out tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. Oh, uh, and will you be leaving at 5am or at a later on hour? On the dot, mate, on the dot. We had to book it in with the hotel reception. They're having police escort us from our room out to the elevator, down out the front door. It's, it's the whole whole deal. So, yeah, 5am wow. on the dot tomorrow morning leaving. Okay, and you'll probably just stay up there now until this, well, till Jesus comes by the, by the sound of it. I, I think that that's probably closer than the lockdown's ending. That's what it yeah, feels like. It does, it does. Yeah. Hey, look, I got, I got you on today because I know you love the Bible and you've spent a lot of sure years. Sure you've spent a lot of years studying about the Bible, reading the Bible, getting to know the Bible. I just want to ask you, for our listeners, uh, a few questions about the Bible. How does that sound? Sounds good. Um, maybe start at the beginning. Who wrote the Bible? Well, that's a loaded question. But uh, I'll answer it with two answers. The first answer is God. God yes. wrote the Bible. Yes. Um, we know that based on a couple of texts in the Scripture. We've got 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that everything came from God. It was all inspired by him. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1.21, same thing. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit moving upon the human, though. So ultimately, we believe the Bible comes from God. Yep. But there's the human element. There's, so there's authors, obviously, involved with that. And so in terms of who wrote the Bible, in terms of the authors... Where, look, this is probably going to upset a few people, but we're not 100% sure on the exact number of the number of authors. We think it's between 40 to 44 sort of authors. 
And people say, how can you not be sure? Well, it's it comes down to a lot of the books we do know because the the book the, book, the author tells us they're writing the book. Yeah, but there's a yeah. few of the historical books in the Old Testament where we just don't know. We've got an idea, yeah. and depending on how you count that, it's either 40 or 44 authors. So, okay. so ultimately God, but yeah, about 40, 44 authors, human authors. Okay, um, why were there no women authors? There's a loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> I, I, I thought I'd sneak that in because I thought, I, want, I can't let you just go through this without a few little curly questions. Why no women authors, or, or, or could there have been? I think I had a slight drop out there for a second. Oh, okay. okay. I'll, still I'll, ask me the I'll just say that again. Why no, no women, women authors, or, or what were there? Well, I guess the first thing is to, to look, as a student of Scripture and um, you know, having a lifetime of studying the Bible, the, it's very important that as we look at the Bible, we look at the, the teachings of the Scriptures, we look at the culture of the times of the Scriptures, that we don't try and interpret it in light of what's happening in our time right now. Yeah. That's the biggest mistake that anyone can make because mm-hmm. this is a historical document in many sense. Um, and it's a danger to try and impose our our current culture, our current um, views on things back onto that, that time frame. So I, I'll, I'll sort of I'll I'll stir you a bit with this answer. Yep. We don't know for sure if there weren't any female authors, but it probably wasn't any. Yeah. Um, the reason I say that is because again, there's a bunch of the historical texts in the Old Testament. We don't know who wrote it. We assume. Some of the people were, some of the prophets, like Samuel might have wrote, written a couple more other books than just Samuel's book. But there's parts that may have been written by women. We don't know. Like, for example, Deborah. There's a portion of this book of Judges that actually recounts the song of Deborah. Now, did Deborah write that herself, or was it being sort of etched down by some scribe? We don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. So we don't know for sure that there wasn't any female writing, but it's probably unlikely it was just because the same reason that there probably weren't any females building buildings back there or, or farming. It was that's just the way the culture ran and that's the way it works. So I don't think that speaks ill of the process or of the way God works, but that's just how it was. Now, a funny thing is, too, I'm just thinking as you give that good answer, um, we really cannot know why God chooses someone to write a book or to be a prophet, whether they're male or female anyway. Correct. We, we actually can't reach that far into God's mind and give an answer to that. One thing we do know is God has used very powerfully men and women in his cause through the centuries. Uh, for sure. Like we, we know for sure that God has had female prophets yeah. in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So yeah. just the fact that there aren't female authors that we can point to and go, yeah, that was a female author, that doesn't negate the fact that God still used females as prophets. Yeah, um, yeah. And we see that throughout all scripture. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, there was even some judges who were ruling Israel who were female. So God uses women. There's no yeah. doubt about that. How many years did it take to write the Bible? So we, I mean, the dates are probably a little bit, little bit loose, but we believe that the first book was kind of written around 1500 BC, which would have been the book of Job, followed yeah. by Genesis very closely. And then the last book written was book of, uh, book of John, the Gospel yep. of John followed by Revelation very closely, around about 90-ish, 96 AD. There's some dispute on the exact year, but it's around the 90s AD. So that puts us around about a 1,600-year period from the first book to the last book. But we have taken into account that there was a good 400 years of silence uh, in between 
the Old Testament and New Testament. So, you know, it's it's probably about a twelve hundred year period of actual writing. Yep, yep, um, yep. With some gaps in between, but yeah, it's definitely an, an amazing book when you think of it like that because this is a book that has got such a huge time um, span from start to finish, and yet and and the multiple authors, and yet the consistency of the teachings and the agreeance upon subjects that you and I probably won't even agree on yeah, yeah. in our context yeah. is astounding, which all points to that inspiration coming from the ultimate source. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's wonderful, really. Hey, look, I, and I've often wondered this question. How did God put the Bible together? I'm talking Old and New Testament. How were, who chose the books of the Old Testament? Who chose the books of the New Testament? Who made them a canon or who put them together and made them the Bible? Do, do you get that question? Oh, all the time, all the time. Yeah. I mean, uh, before I was in this role, I was a like an active pastor, um, you know, churches all over the place, pastors mm. in, in four different countries. And number one question you get from people who, who aren't already Christian is, well, how can you be sure that all of those 66 books, um, whether it be the 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, how can you be sure that that's what God intended and someone didn't mess around with it and you know, the Apocrypha gets thrown into the, the, the conversation, all sorts of things. But if we're looking at just the Old Testament, I mean, you, we could probably spend you know, two, three hours just looking at the evidence to support um, why there are 39 books in the Old Testament, why there should be. But um, the short answer is this. If you look at Jesus' teaching, now Jesus comes along, you know, um, early 30s AD, and his teaching to, you know, Jewish people who have Scripture already, and they use that term Scripture a lot in Jesus' time. And Jesus makes this point in... Um, in Luke 22, it's in verse 44, he says, um, these are the words which I'm speaking to you. And then he says this, he says, these were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus gives us these distinct categories, right? So he says there's the law of Moses, then there's the prophets, and then there's the Psalms. Now, if you look at what the, the Hebrew Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament as Protestants, if you look at how it's constructed, it's constructed in those categories, That's right. the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and, and wisdom we sometimes throw in there as well. And so Jesus is already pointing out, I mean, you remember this, 400 years before Jesus says these words, the Old Testament had no more prophets. I mean, it, it was yeah. silence after Malachi. Yeah. So it was a well-established fact in Jesus' day that the, what we'd call a canon, which is the complete list of the Old Testament, it was already established well and truly in his day. Um, now, if you compare a Hebrew Bible to our Old Testament, you'll see that there are a different number of books. Um, uh, the Hebrew Bible, if you pick up the Hebrew Bible, is 24 books in the Old Testament. Yeah. If you pick up our one, we've got 39. Yep. And the, the key thing to understand is, is that even though the numbers are different, it's exactly the same content. Yeah, yeah. It's just the division. Like, for some reason, when yeah. in our English, well, it wasn't really English when we started, but the way we divided it up is based on volume. So we have, say, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. That's right. In, in Hebrew, it's just one. It's the book yeah. of Samuel. Yeah. Same yeah. with Kings and Chronicles and so on. So I, I, there's, there's so much evidence that says that the, the Bible from the Old Testament, it was established long before Jesus even came on yeah. the scene. yeah. But then the question is, well, how do you know what we've got today is what Jesus was using when he was walking around in Galilee, right? And the answer to that is Dead Sea Scrolls. I don't know if everyone yeah. is familiar with Dead Sea Scrolls, but in 1947, we, the archaeologists found these, um, these scrolls which represented all of the Old Testament scripture except for the book of Esther. And when we dated these scrolls, they predated Christ by 200 years in some mm -hmm. instances. 
and the variation between those scrolls and the Old Testament we have today in our Bibles, it's like 99% the same. The difference is, is in punctuation and spelling. So we can be yeah, sure the yeah, Old yeah. Testament canon that we have is the same thing that Jesus was using, which we have confidence was the same thing that God intended us to have. So it's pretty cool. It would be fair to say with the Old Testament canon, we don't know exactly how it was put together. But the fact that Jesus identified it, as you've just said, brings, uh, uh, brings um, what, what, what's the word I'm after? Credibility. Credibility, <laughs> the reality that this is the canon. What about the yeah. New Testament? How was that put together? So, look, New Testament, there's a lot more debate on this one, um, and it hasn't helped with the recent Christian fiction uh, in terms of movies and novels and things and books have yeah. been written. But, look, generally speaking, the New Testament, um, there's, there's five pieces of evidence that tell us when this canon of the New Testament, 27 books we have, was sort of formalized or established. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Dan Brown and Da Vinci Code, right? Yeah, yeah. So in his book, which became a movie, he makes the claim that it was Emperor Constantine who personally sits down in the Council of Nicaea in 325 and he says, these are, these are the books, this is the canon, no more, no less sort of thing. But and that and what's crazy is is that a lot of Christians think that that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's been disputed numerous times, even before Dan Brown wrote his book. Um, the, the the New Testament was not constructed by the the Roman Church or the Roman Empire. Um, it's clear there's five pieces of evidence that we can go through, and we can easily establish that the New Testament list of 27 books was well and truly in use and established before John died. Um, that's so true. around about 95 AD. Um, I know we're probably running out of time, but there's a couple of pieces I think it's worth noting. Um, one thing, the first one is, it's called the Meritorian Fragment. Um, in 190, uh, sorry, 179 AD, so put this in context, John the Apostle, he dies, last living Apostle, he dies about 100 years, or about 90 years before this. Mm-hmm. We've got a letter outside of the Bible that's already listing 22 of the 27 books. Yeah, yeah. And it's saying that this is considered, um, you know, and, and it's a fragment, so it's, there's parts of it missing. So it's not to say that whole 27 weren't mentioned in that letter, yeah. but we only have 22 in the fragment. That's right. And then we have other, other uh, writings outside the Bible, like um, Clement of Alexandria in 19, at 195 AD. Yeah. He listed, again, 23 of the 27. And the funny thing is that some of the ones that he lists are missing from the fragment. So we can, by comparing it, we get a more complete list. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a few more, but the, the, the clincher for me is what Augustine wrote. He wrote, and I'll, I'll quote this so I don't get it wrong, he wrote that the excellency of the canon, referring to the New Testament, not yeah. the Old Testament, yeah. he says it was established in the times of the apostles. Mm. So that puts it in the 90s AD of when these 27 books were established. So we know there are a lot of counterfeits and a lot of fake books going around, even the times of the apostles, but um, we uh, look... I don't think there's any doubt in Christian um, scholarly debate that the 27 we have are the 27 that were established in the time of, of John, at least, the last living apostle. So a lot yeah, of confidence so, in that. Yeah, me, I've, got, I've got confidence in that too. Basically what you're saying is the early church, the, the apostles, those who lived with Jesus were the ones basically who established the canon for the New Testament. I think we can be sure on that. Hey, Absolutely. A, a couple of just personal questions as because we are running out of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how do you personally, and I'm talking to you personally as a, a student of the Bible, how can you be so sure that it's true? 
So I, I wasn't a Christian until the age of 22. I was an atheist. Um, and so this is, a, this is a personal question, right? Like yep, yep. I went from sort of rejecting the concept and notion of spirituality and God and things like that, yeah. and also any book to go along with that, to now fully embracing it, right? And I, I have total confidence in that this book is an inspired book. So for me, it's a long journey. If, if, you, if anybody wants to hear the story, you can go on to faithfm.com.au, look for Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment's a podcast that I do on Mondays. Yep. And, and the first 18 episodes is me telling my story, how I went from an atheist to a believer. And I touch on a lot of this stuff yeah, about yeah. Um, Scripture and stuff. But to answer your question really quickly, one word, prophecy. Okay. Prophecy to me is the key as to why this book is, in fact, the true, rigidage, authentic, inspired word of God. And I, I did that not easily. I, I'd compare that with the teachings of Buddhism, teachings of Hinduism, Islam, yeah. all the other religions. The scriptures, are the, the biblical scriptures, the only ones that have this claim of prophecy. And the thing that I love what God does in Isaiah uh, 46, verse 9 and 10, he, he puts it out there. He says, listen, I am the only God. And then he says, here's how you'll know. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. And when yeah. it comes to pass, you'll know. Yeah. And so as you explore the, the, the prophecies of Scripture and you see the ones that have been fulfilled precisely every single time, it builds the confidence that this is, in fact, of a divine origin. Yeah. So it's powerful, but we, we could go on forever talking about this. But Yeah, it is very powerful, actually, the prophetic word. Um, uh, two other quick questions, and, and I want to ask these. Why should I, if I'm listening to this uh, radio program now. Why should I read the Bible? All right. Jesus said in John chapter five, he's speaking to Pharisees who are like you know questioning everything he's doing, his authority, his his who, who he is as as the Redeemer, Messiah, so on. Right. And Jesus comes back at them with four things, and the fourth one is why I would say read the Bible. Here's the four things. Jesus says, if you listen to the witness of John the Baptist you would know that I am the Messiah. Then he says, if you had listened to what the Father said about me at my baptism, the witness, you would believe I'm the Messiah. If you had seen the works that I've done, then you would believe that I'm the Messiah. He will see three things as all witnesses as to who he is and what he is. But then the fourth one he says is, he says, now you study the Bible or search the scriptures because yeah. you think you're going to get eternal life, but you don't understand that these are actually a uh, witness, or they testify of who I am. And so Jesus does something interesting. That word in English we read, testify or witness. In Hebrew, uh, sorry, in Greek, it's the word martyr. And we think of a martyr as someone burning at the stake, right? But in yeah. Jesus' time, a martyr was literally a person you took and you put on a witness stand in, in, a, in some sort of judicial setting, right? So Jesus is saying that John the Baptist was a martyr. He was a witness, God was a witness. His works are a witness. And then he says that the scripture is a witness as well. So we have four witnesses that you can put on the, on the witness stand and interrogate them to know what have they seen, what have they heard, what do they know about this person of Jesus. So what's, why should you read the Bible? Because Jesus has put the, the canon of scripture on the same platform as listening to the very word of God or John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, or seeing Jesus' miracles. Now, we're not going to see John the Baptist, we're not hearing God, and we're not going to see Jesus' miracles, but we still have the Bible. Yep. So if you want to know Jesus, if you want to uh, interrogate every attribute of him, you've got to study the Bible. Yeah, 
I think that's it, isn't it? You want to know Jesus, you want to see Jesus, you want to experience Jesus, you've got to go to the Bible. Actually, I was thinking when you were talking about prophecy as, as being, for, for me, and, I, and, and there are two big things with the Bible. There's prophecy, but then there's mm. Jesus who you experience in it, and that is very powerful, isn't it? When you, when you start reading it and you experience Jesus, it's, it's overwhelming. Um, See, that's key, though, right, because the prophecy is only there to prove the divineness of the book. Yeah. But the purpose of establishing that is so you can move beyond that and have the relationship with the person, which is Jesus. And I think sometimes Christians get hung up on just the prophecy side and they miss the Jesus side, or they focus on the Jesus side and they don't have the evidence to support the the divine source from the prophecy. They kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Very important. Last question. Does it matter what version I read? <laughs> good question. It is a good so, question, isn't it? Because there's a lot of versions out there. Not just absolutely. versions, a lot of versions and paraphrases out there. Yeah. I'd yeah. say this. Um, go learn Greek. <laughs> you, you'll be safe. Now, look, in all seriousness, I've, I've gone back and forth with various people on debating uh, the best uh, ver- uh, translation, I guess we should say, not really version, because it's, it's all the same word of God, but... It's how it's translated. The minute we deal with English, which is what we're talking about today, yeah. um, you're dealing with a translation. And so you're never going to have the perfect um, translation because there's no such thing, right? Translations yeah. are always, by nature, going to not be perfect. But you can get better quality and lesser quality. For me, I'll say this to anyone listening, and I've, I've said this for years, the best Bible is the one you're reading. Yeah. Um, you know, pick it up, start reading it. Uh, when, when you start getting into matters of um, doctrine, when you start getting into matters of, of faith and conviction, any translation is going to, to lead you to Jesus. I have no doubt of that. But there are, there are better translations than other translations when it comes to points of faith. And if you're going to base, a belief, if you're going to, you know, base your belief on a passage of Scripture, you want to make sure it's as close as possible to the original translation. So I always try to find uh, there's a spectrum of translations. There's the paraphrase on one side right through to the literal sort of word for word on the other side. And for everyday reading, pick anything, whatever, whatever you can read, go for it. But when it comes to study and to doctrine and establishing what it is you believe from Scripture, get closer to that word for word side of the, the paradigm uh, just to be sure that you're close as possible to the original intent of the passage. What do you so read? I'm not going to condone... One, one translation of the other. I have about 33 different English translations in my personal library. Um, look, I, when I first became a Christian, I was given a King James version, you know, the yep. old King James. Yep. And I thought, this is insane. If this is how I've got to know God, how, how do I get through it, right? And so I got an audio Bible and it was also King James. And so for the first eight years of my Christian walk, it was just immersed in old English. Yeah. And to be honest, if you ask me to quote passages of scripture, it's in old King James. <laughs> I've yeah, got to try yeah, and yeah. modernize it as I'm translate uh, or translate as I'm quoting it. Yeah. yeah. Um, today these days I s- sort of read the the New King James more um, like as a as a daily sort of reading thing. Yeah. And when it comes to speaking and teaching, I'll sort of use the best translation for the passage and that only comes from you know spending a lot of time in different translations. I think it's important to sort of keep yourself across different translations, but also remembering where they come from, um, who's behind them, which committee, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But look, like I said, uh, photographers say the best camera is the one you carry with you. I'll say the same thing. The best Bible translation is the one you're reading. Yeah. I think the thing is, as we close this conversation, is you can be very sure in the Bible, if you're reading it, that God, through the Holy Spirit, will be leading you to the truth. Absolutely. 
Hey, Robbie, thank you. You thank enjoy you. your last day in lockdown and then uh, <laughs> you'll be living in sunny, virus-free Queensland. God bless you, mate. Thanks, mate. Talk See to you later. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey, Hunty, yeah, just mate. so you know, we're going to have a song now, and then I'm going to go straight into my Bible study. I'm, I was thinking I'm, that's a good call. I'm turning the program upside down because yep. that, that, that interview went a bit longer than we All right, the planned, question, we've got a six-minute song by Frontier or a five-minute song by City of Light. Which one would you like? I want the City of Light one only because I like the song better. Okay, well, you're going to have to give me a second. <laughs> so I've made it difficult for you. Not at all, not at all. No, I've sorted it now and now okay. I'm ready. <laughs> well, this is, this, is, this is City of Light and yet not I but through Christ. Jesus, my
nice song. Love it. And uh, I think I've said it before when we've played this song before. It's actually one of the singers is one of my son's teachers at uh, the Christian school he attends. So whenever I hear that song, I'm thinking of that. <laughs> nice. I've tried to get them to come to the church to to uh, to sing. Not easy. I want to do a little Bible study hunting. Yep. Yep. And I, to do it, I want to go to Ezekiel, and this is a little bit different than what I normally do. When I came across this passage of Scripture, I found that it impacted me deeply, and the impact's still there. You know when you read a passage of Scripture and it, it really touches you? Yes. This is, this is a passage of Scripture. It's a, it, the book of Ezekiel, it's written by a prophet called Ezekiel about 600 years before Jesus. In fact, Ezekiel lived in the time of three great prophets. There was Ezekiel the prophet, there was Daniel the prophet, and there was Jeremiah the prophet. And then a 100 years or so before them was another great prophet called Isaiah. So within a 100 years you have these four incredibly powerful, influential prophets in the Bible, and here's one of them, Ezekiel. Now, at the time uh, Ezekiel lived, he lived at the time of Daniel and Jeremiah. Jeremiah actually was a prophet in Jerusalem. Ezekiel, uh, well, Daniel was a prophet. He'd been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon as a prisoner, as a hostage of Nebuchadnezzar because Jerusalem and Babylon had been at war and Daniel was a prince and he'd been taken as a hostage. So Daniel was in Babylon as a prophet to the king Nebuchadnezzar. So you had Jeremiah in Jerusalem. Then you've got Daniel in Babylon and Ezekiel was also in Babylon, but he was a prophet to the other captives that had been taken from this great siege of Jerusalem by, by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. God had sent Ezekiel with them. So there's a chance that both Ezekiel and Daniel were even captured and went to Babylon at the same time. Did you know that? I did not. That they knew of each other, I have no doubt. Right. And Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1 is getting his call to be a prophet from God, and it's unbelievable because God gives him a vision of these four big powerful angels and then these four angels are hovering there in this vision. And then I want to pick the vision up there. So we've got four big, powerful, mighty angels. And then this is what Ezekiel sees. Just amazing. And I hope you get a little touch of who God is through what we're about to show you. Ezekiel chapter 1, Hunty, yep. verse 22. 22, okay. Spread out above them was a surface like the sky, glittering like crystal. So let's just stop there for a hunter. You've got yep. these four angels hovering there. Yep. Then above them is a surface like the sky, Glittering. but it looks like a crystal. Like crystal. Mm, like crystal. Yeah. So you know what crystal looks like. I uh, do. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Keep what going. Diamonds. Keep going. Okay. We haven't got a lot of time. Okay. I want to get this <laughs> beneath this surface. The wings of each living being stretched out to touch That's the, the other's wings. Yep. And each had two wings covering its body. As they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore, or like the voice of the Almighty, or like the shouting of a mighty army. When they stopped, they let down their wings. As they stood with their wings lowered, a voice spoke from behind the crystal surface above them. Okay, you got the scene here, Hunty? Yep. Can you get it in your mind? I do, and it's awesome. It's You've got awesome. four huge angels. Yep. And if, as you study this, they've actually got four wings. Yep. It's an incredible scene, and the power is just emanating above them, about them. Yep. And then above them is this crystal-like sky, and then Ezekiel hears a voice coming mm. from above the crystal yep. sky. Now watch this, because this, to me, this is incredible. This okay. is incredible. Go on, mate. Above this surface 
was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. Okay, stop, stop. You've got a throne. Now, I went and had a look at what is blue lapis lazuli. Yep, I have no idea. It's a dark, dark blue. Yep. So you've got a throne of dark, dark blue. Yep. Okay. And beside this throne, or on the throne, throne, yep. Is a is 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 a being yep. who appears to be a man. Yep. Now what this this really impacted me. Go on. Okay. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like fire. And from his waist down he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. So when you look at him, you're seeing fire. Yep. You know what colour amber is, Hunty? Uh, oranges and yellows. Yeah, and reds. orange, browny, yellow yep. sort of a colour. Yep. So from the waist up, he looks like you know a brown, yellow, amber colour. Yep. But Gleaming. as you're looking from the waist up, you can see fire flickering yep. all around him. You look yep. the waist down, and all you can see is fire. Yep. So this is a pretty incredible scene. Yep. Go on, Hunty. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. This was God. Yep. He saw God. Yep. Who is God? It's a great question. God is God the Father. Yep. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. They are, they, they were spirit beings. Jesus had a few changes when he came to earth, but these are, this is, these are, uh, are spirit beings, but they are not three gods. They're one God. And there he saw God. Mm. It was the Father. It was the Son. It was the Holy Spirit in one being. God. Yep. Now that doesn't mean he's one man. He's not, but this is how God chose to appear to Ezekiel and it had such an impact on Ezekiel that he fell down flat on his face and he began to worship. And Ezekiel from that point onwards became one of the greatest prophets in all of the Bible. But he was able to do the work of God, and this is my point today, Hunty, yep. because he saw God. And it seems to me that if we want to have an experience where we will go out and do God's work too, that we too must see God. And next week I'm going to share with you how you can have an experience like Ezekiel where you can see God. Because when that happens, when you see God, everything changes. It changed for Ezekiel, and I can guarantee when you see God, it'll change for you too. Brightly be. Our Father's mercy From His light House evermore But to us He gives the keeping Of the lights along the shore Struggling seamen, you may rescue, you 
your feet Bull and my brother Some poor sailor Tempest tossed Trying now To make the harbor In the darkness Father in heaven, we come before you. We recognize our need to have an experience with you, God, as Ezekiel did. It's not that our experience will be the same because you come to us all in different ways, but it will be just as powerful. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be with those who are listening to this program. I pray, Lord, that they will experience you in a real, in a very tangible way so that, Lord, we too can be changed as Ezekiel was and be made into something special. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week we'll continue on with this subject, how you can have an experience with God that will change you forever. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor. So glad you're with us today. I love you. But you know what? Jesus, he's always going to love you a whole lot more. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 